frequency, 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 matters, 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 Welcome to the Frequency Matters podcast. Hello. Hi, Shaper. Hi. It is a pleasure to connect with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. No, I always appreciate uh, exposure and sharing. So thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, Welcome to the Frequency Matters podcast. I'm your host, Kim Fendi. And I am delighted to have Steve Ross with us today. Please introduce yourself. Kim, um, I am the CEO and president of a nonprofit called the World Research Foundation. And the World Research Foundation gathers information on every form of alternative uh, complementary medicine in the world. Uh, We have 20,000 volumes dating to the 1400s in every um, alternative specialty. And the organization was founded in in 1984. But my background, I have two streams. I'm going to call them streams in my background. The first was uh, I was on athletic scholarship at my university in Los Angeles, Cal State Northridge. And I sustained a knee injury because a gardener had left his sprinkler head on our workout track. And I couldn't avoid it when I saw it. So I was sent to the sports physician for the LA Rams, Dodgers and Lakers, who said I would have to have surgery or I could never run again. Well, I was very dejected. I went to my trainer's room and there was a popular mechanics magazine, nothing to do with medicine, but I opened it up And it spoke about a technique from Russia. This was 1968. And I thought, I wonder if it would work on my knee. So I called up Dr. Curlin, the orthopedic surgeon, and I said, do you think this would work? And he said, that is holistic garbage. That's crap. It'll never work. But I used it myself, missed five weeks of training, And that year, I placed fifth in the United States for my 100-meter event and became an All-American. But it planted a seed. Why did this expert say I had to have surgery? And what other things exist in this world that you and I are not told about? So I began traveling all over the world to find therapies that we weren't familiar here with in the United States and eventually formed the World Research Foundation where people can come and for 350 diseases and illnesses, we tell them every therapy that has been used from ancient times to the present for their particular health problem. Wow. So that that stimulated my interest in the health. But five years after I graduated, I met a trans medium. And this Native American trans medium told me 
all my future guidance would come in my dreams. <laughs> I remember I was 25 years old laughing, thinking, gee, my dreams are strange sometimes. But as a result, I have been guided by dreams for my entire adult life, even getting telephone numbers at night, looking at them the next morning, I had written them down, wondering, and I would call the number and somebody would say, we're waiting for you. And you see part of the library behind. So our holdings have come as a result of being guided through dreams and visions. So I have the two dreams. Um, I have a PhD in finance, sports, and the spiritual psychic field. Wow. That's incredible. It's my life. <laughs> How cool. So that that's so fascinating. Thank you for sharing your background. Yes, um, so I, I I was on your website earlier. Um, it remind me the name. A world. Well, I have two. The health website is World Research Foundation, but my books and posts is at lesscomplicated.net. So it's all one word, less complicated. And on there, people will find hundreds of uh, little posts and stories on ancient philosophy, mysticism, alchemy, um, frequencies, uh, and, and healing. Fascinating. That's awesome. Wow. So this, what we're looking at is just part of your library, you say? Yes, there is, uh, again, 20,000 books dating to the 1400s um, in alchemy, dreams, meditation, Eastern philosophy, Western mysticism, the ancient mystery schools, psychology. Um, I, I have really followed the guidance internally, which is what I try to share with people that I lecture to to trust themselves. Kim, I believe there is no greater teacher than our internal, what do you want to call it, over-self, over-soul, uh, spirit. It, it's the greatest guide we have. And it can be reached because it is us. And therefore, that has been, I've never joined any group or organization uh, I'm in my 75th year now, and I've just followed what has come up. And that's what I always encourage people to trust yourself because your guide knows what you need. I really love that. And that's really been my philosophy as well. Um, I have really followed my own guidance in a lot of ways um, that has brought me to this path. And it, I, I, I personally get caught up sometimes just with a little bit of self-doubt, thinking like, well, I haven't really been formally trained by the experts or, you know, I look at other people that have all these like qualifications and certifications and letters after their name, and it can be very intimidating. But I always come back to trusting my inner guidance. And it's just, it's, it's guided me to really 
not be seeking uh, so much outside, but to really following within. Well, and that's very beautiful, that approach. Um, I am sharing this next part. Hopefully people will understand, not out of ego. I have lectured with some of the most well-known people in spirituality for the last 35 years. I've been at the same conferences as extremely well-known people that you and your audience would be familiar with. They've written many books, they're all over. But once they get off that stage, they're quite different people. They are not the same as the persona that they project out. And when I've gone out for meals after uh, speaking, the way some of them treat waiters and waitresses, or somebody turning to me who was lecturing on prosperity consciousness and says to me, oh, things aren't really good. Um, we're really suffering financially. And I look at this person going, you just gave a lecture on prosperity consciousness. What? So people should not, I'm going to use the word, be intimidated or fooled because everybody is just people and they may not have it all together like they're projecting out. For me, I have found the most enlightened people, the ones with the best sense of humor. They may not have any background in spirituality, Kim, but they live their life, they're flowing, they enjoy. There's no pretense about them. So again, I share with people, it's a matter of trust. It is a matter of just knowing. Nobody knows any more than you or I. We have access to everything. They may be more aware at the moment, but they don't have access to anything more than you and I have. And as you and I share a couple of uh, people from the past that I want to share with you, you'll understand that, that they recognize how we are so interconnected with everything. And the secret is to, to relax into it. And there's an old biblical phrase, if you ask for bread, you're not given a stone. And that's pretty good because well-meaning people who have a desire and you put that out from your heart, the universe, God, the creator, our higher self will always share. We're the ones who, who block what's happening, the input that would come to us. I, I like to think of the sun. The sun rises and some people like to be out there sunbathing. Oh, the sun. And some people can't take the sun and they'll have an umbrella and the sun's there, and some people have to go under a ledge. The sun is the wisdom. The sun is going to shine always. There can be clouds and fog, which is what we'll put out mentally, but that wisdom, that ability to always apprehend is there at our next breath. And I am not sharing anything new. Every wise philosopher from ancient times says that we are it we are what we're seeking it's with us all the time 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I am a big believer of that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of up for debate on whether or not I believe in reincarnation, but I do believe that we have lived or, yeah, so it's, it's, it's hard to say, but if, if we have lived many lives, past and future, and time is only a human construct, we have the ability to access that information that is just, it's available to us because it's part of us. The reincarnation is a part of every single philosophy on this planet, including Christianity, because the uh, references to that were taken out in Constantinople 325 AD, but they came to Jesus and said, were you so-and-so from the past? That is reincarnation. The great philosopher Pythagoras, 550 BC, knew and could relate his past lives. Um, I have been blessed through my dreams and visions to have actually seen my past lives. And in my dreams, I was given commentary on what I took from that life and what I am carrying in this life. And the counseling work I've done with thousands of people, in my mind at least, it's, it's pretty clear that a lot of the difficulties are coming from past experiences. And as one becomes more aware, it's not hard to, when you meet people, <laughs> you see what they're doing, their likes, their dislikes, uh, maybe they have an ascot or they have something from a period of the 1800s. It, you, you tend to feel it exists. But Kim, I am sharing what I believe, but I want to tell you a quick little story. Yes, please. So people, I never want to come across like I know it all. And the story goes that Aristotle, the great philosopher, was walking along the Mediterranean. And he looked at the distance and he saw a man with a bucket taking water out of the Mediterranean and pouring it into a hole. And as he came closer, it was the town madman. So Aristotle says to this man, what, what are you doing? And the man says, I am going to empty this water so I can see the beautiful blue-green bottom. So Aristotle looks at him and says, how are you going to get all of that water into this little hole? And, and the man scratched his head and he said, great philosopher, uh, what are you doing today? And Aristotle says, I am contemplating the universe. And the man said, how are you going to get all of that in that little head of yours? <laughs> Everything is a matter of perspective. All I would be sharing is, my experience is 75 years, readings of the ancients. Is it the gospel? I never claim it's the only way. And that's why I always remember that story. So I am just sharing from my experiences. Excellent. So in, in all of the studies that you've done, uh, tell us about the conclusions that you've made overall. Well, I would say the, the biggest conclusion is we have unbelievable spiritual guidance around us. I consider myself spiritual, but not religious. 
And by that, I feel that, oh my gosh, um, over my years, I could tell story after story of input, love, changes of physical reality that have come as a result of the spiritual guidance that is around. And I know that nobody has any more. The difference between the people that you and I see that accomplish is not that they're better, they're just more open. They're more aware of, of the possibilities. And my conclusion is there is this physical world, but what I've experienced in the, the realm of spirituality, the dreams, visions, I have been very blessed with actually hearing uh, spirit comments when I'm counseling somebody so that the person I'm counseling is telling me something and my spirits are telling me something additional. And then I will relate and the person goes, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's right. So that is what I found. There is a magnificent guidance around us if we only want to take the time to listen. Mm -hmm. And a philosopher I'm going to share a little bit more on, Paracelsus, the great alchemist of the early 1500s, said, if you go out in the field with the flowers and the plants and you sit humbly in front of them and you ask them, they, they will share with you. They will talk with you. Everything is alive. And so that is the conclusion I've come to, which again, I say, earth plane people, consult with them, but never make anybody your guru because there, there is no greater guru than you and your openness to everything that is around. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about frequency matters, Everything is alive. Everything speaks. And because people are programmed by habit to think, oh, they're just, it's just nature. It's really beautiful. But guess what? It's more than just beautiful. It's alive. It can communicate. And the great wise wisdom teachers of the past, Paracelsus was 1500, but we can go back thousands of years ago. Plato talked about going to a pond and talking to the spirit of the place and communicating. And so that is the most profound um, thing that I've learned through all this time is that knock and the door is going to be open. It's, it's there. But if, if we presuppose something is not going to happen, Mm -hmm. that's not going to happen absolutely and that is uh, another person will speak about pp quimby where the mind how powerful our mind is um in how we go through this world yeah yeah that's so fascinating so i've when i was first going through a major awakening and awareness to like all all things are alive and that we're connected uh, one of the very first experiences I had was uh, working with trees. 
And um, I was taking a course to understand the, the four directions of the cardinal directions. And we were instructed to connect with a tree. And initially I thought that was so ridiculous, but I'm like, well, I paid money for this course. So I'm going to really, really give it a try. And I was absolutely shocked that the very first question I asked, and I had a journal with me, I received an answer. <laughs> and every question I asked after that, I received an answer. And it, bl it blew my mind and changed the entire way I see the world and interact with it. And I'm a big believer that like, just because we have the intelligence to create tools and build homes and structures, that we are not separate from the natural world. And we have placed ourselves in these boxes so apart from nature that we we think that we're just, you know, this this whole place is just for us. And, you know, I've got, you know, in my home, I'm comfort in my own home and we don't often explore the outdoors, but it is, we can learn so much about the world and about ourselves by the seasons of nature and the way that the trees respond to that and the the migration of the birds and how just everything just works so miraculously in harmony. What you're saying is very profound and I hope your audience appreciates you <laughs> and that you're sharing this every time because it's very, very important uh, for people to hear. Very, very important. and it it. People, people are going more outward, which is a shame right now, as opposed to inward. And mm -hmm. I wrote an article at my website saying, because we have fast computers and cars, does that mean our civilization is more advanced than mm -hmm. uh, ancient civilizations who knew much more about the world in Pythagoras's time? They were within one kilometer of knowing the distance between the earth and the moon. And 5,000 years ago, the ancient Chinese had the meridian system. Well, how did they do that? They weren't right. doing and opening it up. So are we more wise? Not necessarily with our technology. We're more disconnected. <laughs> We are, and I would uh, really ask this question, and are we happy? Uh, is civilization as a whole and people happy, truly happy, not going, him, I'm happy. No. Are they really happy? Are they content? And the answer really is no, because if you look at the people on uh, medications for um, psychological, the, the psychiatrist, um, just what society has done, they're really not happy. And I've shared this before too. You walk into a room of businessmen and I'm one with a bag and one side says success and the other side says happiness. Most people would think, you know, they're gonna, it's all about success. Well, most of the time you're gonna read that these people end up with health problems and you'll read so-and-so quit and is now uh, a boat captain mm -hmm. or because we need to have this understanding that it isn't about being stressed and allowing that little voice inside to tell us all the time what we're doing wrong, 
what is happening to us. And the ancients had that same little voice. And this is why Pythagoras in 550 BC played music for his disciples when they first woke up. So before that little voice could say, hey, you need to do this. Why do we do that? So-and-so is going to calmed it down. Because now I believe the little voice inside virtually all of us is nonstop. We got to do this. We got to run for this. Mm -hmm. Our child needs this. Our home needs this. We, it's it's like relentless. Yeah, and I recently had um, a client um, working with some sound therapy with them, but the um, she was talking to me about her her monkey mind and how no matter how hard she tries, she can't stop it. And and I think that what you're saying is so so true because. No, I, I'm I'm not enlightened guru. I'm not uh, claiming to be, but as much, yeah, as as much work as I've done unraveling my own ego and my own mind, I've become more aware that 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 doesn't stop. It, it we can quiet it and we can become friends with it, but it never really stops. It just Agree you know you. It, it always does. It always wants something to focus on, obsess over, to replay. And we, the best thing that we can do is to give it a job or to uh, really to listen to it and work with it as like a, a nurturing friend or grandmother is the way I like to see it because it's relentless. It's relentless. And I'm only smiling because if you take time, and you and you just kind of record everything it's monkey minding about. It's crazy. It is perpetual. And the other part uh, is it tends to completely dwell on the negative as opposed to let's say something great and happy happens in your life. Why doesn't it just spend the whole day going, oh, that was great. This is <laughs> It doesn't. But if something is kind of up in the air, it's it's all day going. Okay, person's going to call. Okay, this is what we're <laughs> going to talk about. Okay, this is going to happen. That's going to it. It really accents that, which also in the healing field, I've shared with people that their thoughts and actions have created their health problem. And then they'll say to me, well, if I've created with my thinking, why isn't it working? Then I'm trying to be positive. Well, because you don't believe that the positive is going to work. But the people accept that the negative is going to happen. Oh, my gosh. The test results are going to come back. And this is going to be really bad. How many people will really go, it's going to be great. And I'll be able to go out and take. It's right. this towards the negative all the time. But no, you, you don't get rid of it as long as we're in a physical body. It's just going to... Mm -hmm. But I love what you just shared. You give it another task. And people don't realize that you and I are talking right now. But if I said, can you visualize an apple, a red apple or a green apple <clears throat> with a little moisture running down i believe you can do that and yet we're talking you're awake mm -hmm. this is one of the keys to manifestation if we in this other part of ourselves have that 
not only sleep, not only meditation, but just carry that, that image and picture will manifest. And believe it or not, the monkey mind is not able to continue doing its thing while you have that apple going and you and I are talking. Right, right. It's fascinating. And I think just knowing that we all have that monkey mind is something that our culture just doesn't accept or acknowledge. Yes. And I, I'm very passionate about working with children. And so I'm really still kind of trying to get into that place because as of right now, sound therapy isn't really prominent with children, but it yes. is so powerful and they respond to it like more more incredibly than adults that I've seen. And um, I just think that if they if they knew this information that we're talking about, which, you know, is kind of simple and basic. Like the stuff that they're learning in school is a lot more complex than some of this stuff that we're talking about. Like no, that's very true. How how different their lives could be as they as they mature and grow. My wife also is very passionate about the youth and, and children, and she would dovetail what you're saying that. Um, if, if children could be empowered at a much earlier age to what the possibilities are, what what they're capable of, um, the world will start having a shift in consciousness uh, with, with the youths coming up. It's funny, I don't know if you remember that movie, My Cousin Vinny, but every time, oh, yes. youths, 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 coming up. youths. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think about that. Um, I remember it was probably over five years ago when I was just like journaling, probably working with the trees, honestly, and just thinking like the quickest way, this is what came to me, is that the quickest way to change the world is to go directly to the children who haven't had, they don't have to rewire their brain. If we can get to them young enough to teach them how powerful they are and how powerful their minds are, then you don't have like middle-aged people going back and healing. And, and then, you know, at that point, maybe already, you know, they're already halfway through their lives. They don't have much ability to, to make an impact or change the world. So I am, I am right there with you that that's the quickest way to change the world is through the youths. <laughs> they pop up my screen saying there's nine minutes left. Yes. So that's, this could be a good moment. If we want to take a quick break and then come back, I can send you a second link and we'll okay. continue from there, or we can talk for a few more minutes. And what happens if we get on another subject though, I lose track of time and then we'll just get cut off. It's all good. I would say that uh, because I'm looking at the time also, um, uh, along with what we're sharing before we get into another segment yeah. would be yeah. that um, can children of a young age really absorb concepts that maybe adults are not getting? And I believe they can. Uh, I definitely believe they can. But if somebody goes oh, bit, 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 and talks a little baby talk, um, they're, because that is what everybody's done in the past, then they're not going to. But I think that the capabilities of the young kids is far greater. But now on TV, occasionally you see, oh my gosh, some six-year-old or eight-year-old 
with this unbelievable ability that adults can't do. So my question is, is that reincarnation? Or are they just so smart that they picked that up? But what some of them do is unbelievable. Yeah. Because adults can't even do some of these things, uh, whether it's multiple languages. So I think the more that we believe we're capable of mm -hmm. and children are capable of, we will be able to manifest that for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I've always, so I have two little kids. Well, not so little anymore. Eight and 10 are my children's ages now, but from the minute that my son was born and he first looked at me, I saw him as like this, just a master, this brilliant, like purest, innocent life full of knowledge. And I just, I held this belief that he just, he couldn't communicate it yet, but he understood the way that the world worked and the way that he made eye contact. And then he started talking really early in like complete full sentences I was always just blown away by his capacity to understand really con, uh, con, uh, I can't even, con, I'm just trying to think of hard concepts. We'll just go with that. <laughs> Much. Well, you know, the ancients believe, and this as the spiritists believe, that the children pick their parents. I've heard And that. it is very, very wise that. He picked you because this affords that soul an opportunity with a very open parent to fly yeah, and not have a parent that's going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, this, this kid or some people, oh, my God, this person's got my kid is possessed because they can do these unusual things and this isn't right and they're all scattered as opposed to somebody going, oh, my gosh, this this is incredible. And I've actually been a part in no families of the children that came in and scared the wits out of the parents because they were doing things that a four or five-year-old, quote, in our shouldn't be able to do. Well, mm -hmm. why not? Right. Why wouldn't? Right. So, so if you would like to uh, so yes. you send another email, so I'll watch for that. Sounds great. Yeah. And, and it's segments of how much now? 20 minutes? 10 uh, minutes? 40. We get 40 minutes in total. You and I just spoke. You spoke for 40 minutes? <laughs> I must have. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm talking a lot. No, I absolutely adore the conversation and love that it's free flowing. I think that your your experience and your knowledge is you know, it's baked into everything you're sharing. And I just, I love it. I love it all. My feeling after many years of, of reading, um, of studying, is that there are many ways to achieve, let's take healing, because we're going to talk about specifically healing here, that a lot of people learn a particular system and believe, oh, no, this is the only possible way you can heal. This is how I've been taught. This is the verbiage I'm supposed to use. And I'm supposed to hold my finger here and tell the people something and the healing is going to take place. So I would like to share a, a little sequence here called the heart, mind, and nature of healing, where I'd like to discuss three people from the past, one who healed purely 
by the mind and talking with people, a second person from the heart and love, and the third person was uh, from nature. And I believe you can see on the screen, I have two plaques, I guess to my right, of P.P. Quimby, who healed 25,000 people by talking them out of their disease and illness. And what was fascinating about P.P. Quimby, who lived in the middle 1800s, was he discovered the uh, strength of mind and belief. He did it, he was a clockmaker. And all of a sudden, the rage in the 1830s was animal magnetism, hypnosis. And P.P. Quimby, who was in Portland, Maine, got so excited about hypnosis, he started experimenting. And a person in his town named Lucius probably was the greatest hypnotic subject of all time because Quimby could put Lucius into a hypnotic trance and they did all kinds of exhibitions of showing what the mind can do. And here's how Quimby worked. He would put Lucius in trance and Lucius in a trance would be able to answer questions of people in the audience, not by trickery, but by actually some connection between his mind and the audience. And Quimby came to this conclusion, thought is like the aroma of a rose. You don't see the aroma, but it's there. And all thought of everyone is interconnected. And he was reinforced with this thought because one day he had been working with Lucius and he forgot, I don't know how, but he forgot Lucius was in trance. And Quimby thought, okay, I'm gonna go outside and go to the market. And Lucius says, you better put your hat on if you're going to the market. Now, Quimby couldn't believe it because he did not tell Lucius he was going. How did Lucius know the exact phraseology and to put his hat on? So for the next five years, all Quimby did was think what he wanted Lucius to do in trance, and Lucius did it perfectly. Wow. So he started thinking and looking and going, wait a minute. Everybody is connected. The thoughts are there. But before I go to phase two of Quimby, everyone believed, according to the books on the subject, that nobody could be hypnotized during a electrical storm because somehow this is all electrical and magnetic. And all over the world, no hypnotist could hypnotize somebody in a storm. Well, one day, Lucius and Quimby had the greatest exhibition they had ever had. And Quimby discovers it was a lightning storm, electrical. And thus he learned the belief system that everybody had stopped people from taking that next step. And from then on, everyone else in the world could do it. But Quimby continued until he discovered this. Why do I need Lucius? Why do I need Lucius to be in a trance and then pick up from patients who came? Because when the patient would come, Lucius would pick up what their problem was. 
Quimby taught himself to sit in front of you, Kim, and you would come to Quimby and say, I have, Quimby would say, Kim, I don't want you to tell me. I am going to tell you everything you're feeling, when it started, how you're doing. And if I do that, would you believe that I know your problem? Well, of course, because I have to tell the doctor what's the matter. Quimby was able to then tell you why it started. Well, Kim, it started for you because you went to the doctor and you were coughing a couple of times and the doctor said, you have consumption. And then you and your own mind built all this up. All you had done was cough twice. <laughs> then you manifested what the doctor believed and put out in his aroma and what you had read. So for 12 years, Wimby cured 25,000 people by arguing them out of their health problem, like a prosecuting attorney. Kim, you did not have this problem before the doctor told you, or Mr. Smith, weren't you sitting in a pew in the church and the priest up there mentioned that if you have these thoughts, this is what's going to happen. And if you did this, your hoo-hoo is going to fall off. And the guy goes, you know, that's right. That's when it started. He literally talked. He is the father of the new thought movement because everything that these people talk about now, thoughts or things, Quimby wrote about the Quimby manuscripts in the 1800s. And here were examples that he gave. You go to the doctor. Doctor, I have this particular problem. And the doctor, if the doctor says you have cancer, you already start building up. Oh my gosh. And let's think today. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have chemotherapy. I'm gonna have radiation. I'm gonna lose my hair. I've got tumors. I'm gonna die. You build it up. But if the doctor said to you, Pam, you have hippity dippity do. You don't even know what that is. You cannot build that up in your mind. Uh-huh. People will say, well, wait a minute. Come on, because little kids don't know when they get sick. No, their parents project out. Thoughts are like the aroma of a rose, and they just go out and out. So for years, he demonstrated how that there is a science of healing. And he claimed he he arrived at it from reading the, the Bible, the New Testament. He believed that Jesus laid out a whole system because Jesus was talking, do you believe I can do this? Mm-hmm. Do you feel? And so BP Quimby system, he said, came from, from his reading. And it is very profound. And, and I give two-hour presentations just on him. Wow. But I want to introduce these personages to you and your audience so they'll have a little bit of a background. That's now, cool. around the same time, we have another individual who is also pictured. The one closest to my shoulder is P.P. Quimby. The one two away is 
uh, James Rogers Newton. Now, J.R. Newton was a very interesting person because when you read his autobiography, he said that from a little age, there would be birds that were wounded or little friends, and he would touch them and talk to them and they would get healed. But of course, his parents were aghast. It was like, oh God, there's gotta be something wrong with him because he can do this. So he shuts it down for 35 years. He's riding in a boat in San Francisco and the ship going across, yellow fever broke out. Hundreds of people died. Two surgeons died, but everybody Quimby, work, I'm sorry, that uh, J.R. Newton worked with were healed and saved. And so J.R. Newton said, I am going to continue with my mission of love because he is the heart of healing. Why? J.R. Newton cured 250,000 people purely through love. Now, people today go, oh, I this cured 20 people in Africa. Oh, no, people cured of a cough. Doctors, lawyers, judges, newspaper writers all gave testimonials that J.R. Newton cured people of every disease, illness, blindness, lameness, all within less than five minutes. Wow. I was able to find his autobiography, which was very rare at the time because I, again, I have very ancient books here. I was reading a book from the 1800s that a man named J.R. Newton went to England and was curing these people. So I started looking into it. And then I come across J.R. Newton and finally found his autobiography. In the autobiography, he gives the street address of the people that he cured. And cases such as this, a woman was brought to him on a stretcher. She became paralyzed when she was 12 years old. She was brought to school by her brothers on a little cart. She married a, a man and had seven children. None of the children had ever seen her upright for their entire life. She was brought to J.R. Newton. And in five minutes, she walked out after being paralyzed and not walking for her entire life and went out. And when they interviewed her, she said, the doctor said to go have a steak and walk. And what he did with person after person, reading documented things from lawyers, um, I, I, I was in shock, seriously. Because he wasn't a, you know, boom, here, Jesus healed you. Now, how did he come upon this? He claimed that he read the New Testament and he came up with his system that Jesus healed through love. Hmm. So his love was like this. 
As to the power of healing, it is a demonstration of the power of love. I tell someone I love them, they feel that I love them, and the disease must depart. Every man is my most loving brother. Every woman is my most beloved sister. I surround them with love. But Kim, here's the key. It wasn't he said, Kim, I love you. Kim, I love you. No, it isn't the words. It is the vibration. His majestic self was of such a nature, J.R. Newton, that when people wrote about him, they said, Nobody could argue in his presence. It, it, it was impossible. His eyes would look at somebody and they, they just would not argue. He exuded such tremendous love that people, people could feel it. And I read from a book I have that when he was in England, there were 200 people in the audience. And he said, all the people who want to get healed, stand up. And he put his hands on his chest, according to what's written, and threw the love out from his body. And the article said it was like a gunshot went off. It was of such a magnitude that all, all but five people sat down, completely healed of their problem. And then he did it again, and the remaining people. Wow. He he didn't drink, he didn't gamble, he got to bed early, and his secretary of 30 years wrote, he said that everybody had this capability, but he knew that he could do it. We believed we couldn't do it. We did not think we could do it. He knew that he could do it. And so when somebody reads, and I must say now that Amazon now has reprints of uh, the life and labors of J.R. Newton, um, which is available, you will read testimony after testimony uh, validated of, of the mirrors. That's the only way to say it. Members of the U.S. Congress in the 1800s went to him. He, obviously, 250,000 people is a lot of people, and he didn't charge people who couldn't afford it, but people who could, he, he did charge them. His sessions never lasted more than 10 minutes. Crippled people, uh, arthritic people, people who hadn't straightened their limbs out, he he loved them. Now, were there failures? And I loved in his book, he said, why people did not get healed. A, they didn't accept the love. B, they didn't think they were worthy to be healed. They believed that they deserved their difficulty. And they did not want to release it. Uh, so in our first two examples, we we have two people who did profound healings re 
reading the same gospels and coming away with, with two different approaches to healing. Thoughts are things. Love trumps all. Love conquers all. And people in the field like you and I and the energy medicine people, we resonate with the love part. That is who we strive to be, is mm -hmm. to not only help people, but we do it a lot of times out of love. It isn't always just to make the buck. We 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 feel for the people. And so uh, the reprint is very inexpensive. It cost me a lot to get the original books from the 1876. But uh, now with that reprint, um, and, and you read and you immerse yourself in, oh my gosh, it widens what you believe as a practitioner of what is possible. Now, take that and combine it with P.P. With Quimby. Mm -hmm. Those thoughts like the aroma of a rose. So we can't outwardly say, oh, to your patient, oh, I love you. But deep here we're going, God, I hope this works. You know, my reputation is at stake. I've had all these successes. I hope I don't have it. No, you you can't. It's standing in the presence of what you conceive of. That is that is the supreme secret. Becoming one with what you believe with all your heart and soul and spirit. And so here are two different approaches. But I began by saying the heart, mind, and nature. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to introduce your audience to Paracelsus, the greatest of all the alchemists who lived, born around 1493. He, in the early 1500s, was the most magnificent healer, philosopher, that I believe the planet has ever seen because he understood nature to a degree that I, I don't know anybody else ever understood. And he began by saying, when he was a young man, and I realize I'm talking with no interaction. I, I hope this is okay. Yes, yes, this is great. I, okay. But because of the time element, I'm kind of. I understand. It's great. It's great info, though. But, you know, before I go to him, what, what do you think about these first two? Are there any questions that come up or, or your comments? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. My thought is that while they had different approaches, it still came down to beliefs. So whether or not you believe, it's like faith, right? If you don't don't believe in something you're not going to experience it and i think that was true for both jr newton and pp quimby and his patients exactly and, and and that would be very very big because uh if somebody does not want to accept it and of course uh, i've worked in the healing field all my adult life um and we have been blessed with some incredible experiences, but I do not want people contacting me now asking for healings because that period in my life has changed. 
because I'm trying to empower people to realize they can do it themselves. Yes. But very early, we worked with people with inoperable brain cancer tumors, breast cancer tumors, people in comas that had instantaneous remission. Why? Because I have PP, I have J.R. Newton, I have all these philosophers from the past to know what is possible, what we can achieve. Um, Pantanchali wrote a book on yo uh, yogi aphorisms. What is it, yogi what? Uh, the, the aphorisms of the yogis. In other okay. words, how to, the book is How to Know God. He listed in there all the capabilities somebody could manifest by being involved with yoga for 10 or 20 years. When I first read the book, I experienced every one of those, every one of those traits and realized if you want to believe Unity Guru, if you want to believe it's going to take 10 years, that's what's going to happen. But why is it the transcendentalist hugged trees and had cosmic consciousness throw Emerson right away. And somebody else feels, no, got to have a guru, got to have a master. <laughs> it's underlying what you just said, Kim. If that's what you want to believe, that is what's going to manifest for you. Yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. It, it is. And so we have Paracelsus. Paracelsus is a young man said, uh, I was 12 years old. My mother worked in the medical field. This is in the 1500s. And our dog, my parents had a party, but they were all adults and I wasn't interested. And our dog had been sick. And all of a sudden the dog got up and went out to the house and was walking through the forest. And Paracelsus said, he followed, followed this little doggy and the doggy stopped at some plant sniffed it, went on a little further, and then went further and ate the, the plant that was there. Saw his dog lay down for 10 minutes and, and basically sprang up and was healthy. Paracelsus <laughs> looks and he goes, why is it the dog knew and people are sick and they can't come up? The intuition that the dog knew, Paracelsus started thinking, wait a minute, if the if my animal can do this, we have all these capabilities, we are far wiser than we imagine. He is the one who said, you wanna learn from the plants and flowers, sit humbly cross-legged in front of them and ask them for their wisdom. And so in the 1500s, he was accused of going to the barbers who were doing health and the, the witches and the this and the that. And Paracelsus said, look, I am going to learn from everybody. I am going to understand. And he started recognizing things such as there was a animal in one of the shops there that had been killed but the fur was still growing. The fur was still growing well after the animal had been killed. Hmm. And he started making observations, including, he goes, there was a pond at his home. 
And during the summer, it would get so hot, it was almost boiling. And the fish were basically getting baked. But during the winter, the pond was freezing. Well, even though it was the 1500s, he said, now, wait a minute. The sun did not change. The earth really did, did not change. What happened? It's because of the relationship between the angle of the sun and the earth. And so he understood. Everything has to do with relationships, not just the substances. You can have two people, husband, wife, friends, that'd be husband, wife, people together, argue about cats and dogs, nothing works out well. They go to other people, everything's great. They may not have changed, but the relationship between the two here and the two there is the key. And so he understood, basically, it all has to do with relationships. Everything in nature is good. And he said in 1520, bee stings and venom from snakes are good. And they have proved that. The Russians use bee sting therapy for multiple sclerosis. And if you look at it, snakes and the venom, everything in nature has its place. And so he discovered when somebody had a problem that he could take this problem that they had, whether it was a tumor, and a tree in nature actually liked it. Nothing is wasted. And in every geographical area, he said, God has provided the answer for any health problem existing in that geographical area. There is a plant. There is an herb. There is something. Hmm. And even though he's on the nature part, I'd never say he's on the love part because he was a tough guy. He admitted he was tough. He actually was killed because he would go into a town and he would cure, and he was curing cancer and elephantitis and diseases that they have a problem now back then. Wow. But he told the apothecaries, you're killing the people with your substances, like our pharmaceuticals today. You're causing these problems. You need to tell people what's in there. And so they would run him out of town and run him out of town mm -hmm. and run him out of another town because he was saying, no, be upfront. Say, why are people ill? Because they're not integrating with nature. Mm -hmm. They are not understanding that they're gluttony there because he realized that the people who were very opulent were the people who were having the most health problems and the average person who had very little was healthier than these people. And so he arrived at his whole concept that when you overeat, when you stuff, you're going to be sick. Now, a person in his town, for whatever reason, locked himself in his home, closed all the windows, closed all the doors, and the people worried about him because a week went by and they never saw the man. And then when they finally went in there, they found the man was dead. 
and Paris and they couldn't figure out why. But Paracelsus in 1515 thought, wow, it has to do with the air. It had to do with the oxygen. And that was a concept nobody was really thinking of, but he discovered it. Hmm. So we have an individual who said, if you want to learn nature, you have to walk her leaves. You have to go out. You have to understand that everything has its place. And he believed very strongly in the macrocosm, the big world, and the microcosm. And that was a big part of his philosophy. And the medicaments he made were under different phases of the moon and the stars, because he understood that everything is vibratory. And he understood, you want to learn the big world? You learn it through the little world the microcosm. And anything that takes place here takes place there. But that's what uh, Pythagoras knew and other great philosophers. You don't need to travel to the far ends of the galaxy to know because within our own bodies is the reiteration of the entire cosmos. And Paracelsus believed in something, I see the time, called foci. And foci meant within each person is something that resonates with every single thing existing outside. Now, this is an incredible concept because that means you have a part of everything that exists within you. So what is the key for unlimited wisdom? To attach yourself to the foci that you want to learn about in the macrocosm, the big world. And it's not hypothetical. It's not just stuff. It is real. And I'm here to tell, and Kim, thank you for allowing me to share all this, that it is real. And I've had these experiences over 75 years to validate everything is possible. Now, I want to leave this with, with you in the audience. Paracelsus gave the keys to all manifestation to accomplish anything, whether it was the disciples or the magicians in Egypt. Three things, imagination, faith, and will. Hmm. You must picture what you want to manifest. You must not believe, but know it is going to happen and have the will to stay the course until it manifests from the amorphic or thought stream into our physical reality. Those are the pillars of manifestation, imagination, faith, and will. And they exist within us. So in a very short time, kind of bulleting, machine gunning, uh, we have three different approaches. Everything works. But you said the key word. If somebody believes it or somebody has faith, I can tell somebody once we establish the environment that a Twinkie is going to help them and the Twinkie will help them. Amazing. It is, so, it is an amazing, fascinating world that we live in. Oh, and the further you go, the more amazing it is. People think you, you keep... Um, it's going to end. But there's an old yogic story. 
this man, this heavy duty businessman woke up one day and he was terribly into business and something hit him, got to be more in this world. So he talked to somebody he knew and a person says, oh, you got to go to the metaphysical bookstore. They'll have the answer. So he goes to the metaphysical bookstore. Oh, you got to go to Tibet and you got to talk with the yogis. Really? Okay. <laughs> so he goes to Tibet. He's climbing in the mountain, wrong time of year, no clothes. He passes out from the cold. He wakes up. There are these men around him, the yogis. And he goes, they said, what are you doing here? I, I came to find the secret wisdom of the universe. I was told that you have it. Do you? No, we don't. Well, where's the answer? They ask him, what city did you come from? He told them the city. They look at him and go, that's where the answer is. It's always within you. It goes with you. It's always in you. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. It's not anything outside of ourselves. We can't seek. We could seek all we want, really. And really, the answers are found within. It's right there. Our higher self, it doesn't come to us like somebody gives us anything. We are our higher self. That is why some people proclaim, we are God. We are God. We just haven't recognized our own selves yet to, to know who we are. And that would be the message that I would like to deliver during our sharing here is to trust yourself, know yourself. Uh, I may seem full of it, but that doesn't mean I have any more awareness than anybody else. I have a temporary awareness because I've been exposed. <laughs> Emerson said, when I find narrow viewpoints, I find narrow reading. Or if you have limited exposure, you don't know what's possible. So my advantage is I have read about what people did and I go, well, what the heck? Why not? Why can't you and I do that? Yeah, yeah. So I recently uh, shifted looking at my business as a sound healer to a sacred sound facilitator for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about. Um, I think it, it all stemmed from self-doubt <laughs> and thinking like, well, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm just delivering the sound. Like I, I, you can't expect me to heal you. That's not my job. So it, it puts, it puts the healing back on each individual. And when I. You're so right to me, the best healer sets up the environment that allows the people to believe and know they're going to be healed. Why did they say to Jesus in his own hometown, he could do it, not do any mighty miracles. Why? Because he was a snotty kid who grew up in the town. They didn't have the same concept of him. He could do no mighty miracles in his own hometown. It wasn't just, yes, it's belief. So what makes the healer good? But in that great environment, I'm a storyteller or other <laughs> where we get the people to relax. I constantly make jokes. I'm a triple Aquarian. And when a person is so relaxed, things happen. That is, a, happen. That is exactly the approach I use just with uh, vibration and sound. Your and audience is lucky to have you, Kim. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I 
and very blessed to have you have had you today as our as well as our audience is thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared today kim thank you and like you said i appreciate you know letting people know and if they do want to come to my site again it's uh, www.lesscomplicated.net and i have books from other authors my own and again nothing is the gospel it's what we want to relate to so thank you have a wonderful day today thank you so much i I think we could probably continue our conversation for hours (laughs) anytime you want we can always come back again i would love that thank you again and many blessings to you and yours thank you this concludes today's episode of the frequency matters podcast Be sure to tune in on July 15th, where the next episode will feature Gwen Foster, a naturopathic doctor in Houston, Texas, that specializes in autoimmune disorders and functional medicine, and she's a big fan of Hannah Kroger. You won't want to miss. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Have a blessed and beautiful day. Frequency Frequency. 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 Matters. Matters. Matters.